You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. And happy Friday, everyone. Hopefully everybody had a great week. I'm looking forward to this weekend because finally... Finally, 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 trail cameras. I can get my trail cameras out over the mineral sites that I've already established. And uh, man, I'm going to be, uh, it's going to be hard for me to wait an entire month to go check those trail cameras. Um, but I need to. I need to wait. I need to have patience because in the past, man, I used to check them whew, almost once a week, if not more than that. Just just in hopes that I, I would catch one of those really big deer on, uh, on camera. Now, with kids and, uh, and a wife and a full-time job and a side gig and all this other stuff I got going on in my life, it's kind of forced me to, uh, to, to lay off checking my trail cameras during the summer months. But it's a good thing because I've seen a direct result in more bucks, more deer in general, visiting um, those uh, mineral locations. So uh, that's kind of a, a little a short word of advice. Uh, if you have trail trail cameras out this time of year just leave them alone right you can't hunt anyway so just leave them alone and uh you know give it a month or so and then go and check them and that's uh that's my plan anyway now today we have a a really badass podcast we're going to be talking with a gentleman named barrett burns out of western tennessee and he is a 100 percent public land bow hunter and today we talk about his hunting strategy how he approaches the season we bs for a little bit so it's a really good overall bow hunting podcast and uh, man he he does a really good job of, of sharing insight of how he gets it done every year how he approaches public land and the strategy that goes along with it so uh you know based off of the the download results the statistics that that i get to see um from other podcasts that were similar to this 
this one's going to be pretty popular. So um, make sure you share it and tell others uh, about it, especially if you're a public land hunter, man. It's just, it's always cool to see a guy go out on public land that everybody has access to and be successful every single year. Uh, or, or maybe not every year, but uh, consistently be successful, I guess we'll say. Now, for those of you who know, um, we have a new partner on the podcast, and that is Prime Archery. Uh, they've been a, uh, a partner for a while now, but uh, this year um, we've I've transitioned away from Gearhead to Prime Archery, and the podcast that is going to come out on Monday will kind of explain all that. So before you call me a sellout, uh, go ahead and wait until that podcast comes out and listen to it but i'm telling you man um i went to the ata show i shot a couple bows and then um after the deal with gearhead didn't work out i was kind of in a spot where hey man i'm gonna go shoot some bows so i went to a archery shop i shot a prime i realized how much i actually loved shooting their bow um and just the feel of it the hand shock it, it fit me Right. And I'm like, so I reached out to him and I said, Hey man, uh, I got a, I got a, a slot available. If you're interested, let's do something. They agreed. So we're work, you know, we worked something out and they are a, um, a, a partner of this podcast and they're a badass bow too. So if you haven't shot a bow, uh, you know, I recommend, uh, going and checking, you know, checking out a, a prime bow and, you know, maybe it, maybe it fits you. Maybe it doesn't, but uh, again, man, especially my buddy Ryan, he freaking loves them. Uh, we were actually on the, on the phone the other night talking about them. And uh, just t- what I'll do is I'll actually run through some of the specs because my bow's in the shop right now, but, uh, it's, uh, 330 FPS. We, it, uh, the logic, and I'm talking about their new flagship bow, the logic. Um, it's 330 FPS. The brace height seven inches. We got a 31 inch axle to axle. We have a. I'm using a 29 inch draw length at 70 pounds, uh, and the color is my color on my bow is recon gray. And man, they have a ton of uh, camel options here. Um, Optifade Open Country, Optifade Elevated Two, Optifade Sub Alpine. They have fur, two different options of first light. They have real tree, and then they have a black. A tactical tan that was the other one i almost got was tactical tan but i went with a recon gray and then they have a, a ghost green as well um no hand shock in this bow from what i shot really good anchor anchoring points um and obviously that has a lot to do with making sure your your draw length is right but if you haven't had the opportunity go find a prime dealer or go to g5prime.com and check out uh, the lineup of bows from prime archery now Before I get into the podcast, just a friendly reminder that the Exodus Trail Camera Trek deal is still going on. So for all of the Nine Finger Chronicles listeners, you're getting 30% off if you buy a Trek Trail Camera. That's their lower end price one. Uh, you get a 30% discount if you buy one uh, before uh, Wednesday of next week or on Wednesday of next week is the cutoff date. So the 27th is the last day you can take advantage of this. And if you go to um, exodusoutdoorgear.com, pull up the trek, try to buy it, enter the discount code 
nine finger or excuse me nine fc three zero you're gonna get 30 percent off and that brings it to around uh, 100 bucks so take advantage of that all right i've hoard out enough i've sold out enough you know i've done my advertising so let's get into today's public land hunting podcast with our tennessee friend barrett burns all right everybody uh I'm on the phone right now with Mr. Barrett Burns from Tennessee. How you doing today, man? Oh, pretty good, Dan. Can't complain. How about you? Can't complain, man. We just had uh, a lot of rain come through the area. I know certain parts of Iowa uh, probably could use a little bit more, but where I live, we need it to just stop for a while. All the creeks and rivers are starting to get to the point where they could go out at any time, so we need the rain to go elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, here, the rain we have been getting when we do get some, it's like we get two inches in three hours. We get downpours. and yep. been kind of hot, but, you know, for this time of year, I'll take any rain I can get. Now, when I think of Tennessee, I think of the south. Like, I think Tennessee's in the south. But is it, yeah. I mean, does it get really hot there in Tennessee throughout the summer? Yeah, man, well, it's, it's really humid. Up until two days ago, it's been high 95 to 98 for about 10 days straight now and it's it's kind of a little earlier than usual usually our august is really bad so i'm hoping we'll have a a mild july and august since june was so tough on us right here here in iowa uh we have the luxury of bitching not only about how cold it gets but how hot it gets too so you know we're only really happy for about a week uh, a week between <laughs> winter and and summer and then from summer back to winter back to the fall oh, yeah where i live the saying's always been if you don't like the weather just wait you know five minutes and then a change right absolutely absolutely so tennessee man uh whereabouts in tennessee do you live and what do you do for a living man i live in dyersburg tennessee it's in the northwest corner um 45 minutes from Kentucky and right across the river from Missouri. Gotcha. Okay. So you're, you're, uh, you're fairly close then. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yep. Okay. Uh, so let's see here. Um, Tennessee, man, I, I think I've had maybe one other guy, one or two other guys on the podcast from Tennessee, but I think they may have been on the Eastern side of the state. How does, how does, when it comes to whitetails, how does the western side of the state and the eastern side of the state kind of differ? Man, me personally, there's there's not if, for living in Tennessee. I, I think I live in the best part of it for for deer hunting and duck hunting. Right. You know, we're right in the flyway for ducks, but East Tennessee they 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 have the number of deer, but it seems like the the more big body and big antlers come from middle and west tennessee because like where i live you know it's it's kind of like where you're at we're, we're crop lands which i'm flat bottom land but i mean i'm i live in a farming town you know you, you leave the town and go out in the country and i mean it's just bean fields and cornfields for as far as you can see right right so then uh where was that world record buck out of tennessee shot right outside of nashville okay up in up in middle tennessee okay all right so you're yeah I'm, I'm looking on a map right now i'm trying to see see where you're at okay so yeah, go you, uh yeah I'm, I'm right on the river right up in the in the top left corner of tennessee about 80 miles north of memphis 
Okay. So not only so the eastern side of the state has the numbers, but when it comes to quality of bucks, you have the bigger bucks on the western side of the state. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I'd I'd say we're. I mean, in my opinion, we're just as good as I, I hunt a lot in western Kentucky, and I mean, I think we got just as good a deer as they got. You know, a hundred miles north of us. Right. Okay. So, and, and you know, Kentucky is what. There, you know, Kentucky's on the come up when it comes to big bucks, right? I mean, while you know, I, ten I years ago, this, yeah, yeah, I think it's a sleeper state. Yeah, I mean, which, which the word's getting out. Yeah, and and you know what? It, it helps that they only get one buck a year. Yeah, but like the 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 quality and the age class up in Western Kentucky, I mean, it's probably you know pretty close to what y'all are hunting. I mean, it's it's nothing to go up there and see, you know, some five and six year old bucks with, you know, 150 to 180 inch racks on them. Yeah. 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 And, uh, every year, you know, due to, so thanks to social media, you start getting more and more and more big, big old bucks on, on social media. And, uh, you know, to kind of basically say, you know, Kentucky, Kentucky's got it. Oh yeah, definitely. And they raised their license a couple of years ago. Their license went from, I think it was 180, and it went up to like 250. But I mean, me personally, they could have doubled it, and I still would have bought a license to go. I just, I love being able to go up there and hunt that first Saturday in September and chase bucks and velvet. I mean, it's just, it's totally different than the hunting I'm used to doing here, you know? Yeah, for sure. When does the season open in Tennessee? Uh, Tennessee, it opened the third Saturday in September, but this year they passed a new law with the commission, and we we actually have a three-day velvet hunt the last weekend in August. So, How's that going to work? Man, I don't know. This is going to be our first year. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to it. To get there. I mean, I'd hunt them. To, if it was season was open right now, I'd go today. <laughs> That's how much I like it, but... I mean, it's it's going to be different because it's definitely going to be hotter than hell here yeah. in August. But I mean, like I'm sure you do a lot of glassing and scouting that time of year. I mean, I think if a, if you play your cards right and you got a spot where there's some deer, I think you could kill the biggest deer of the season through that three day hunt. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I've got I've got trail camera pictures throughout the summertime, especially into late August where. They're going by a trail camera for nine, ten, maybe even twelve days in a row. So they're yeah. they're on a schedule. Yeah, and, and it's kind of you know the way I look at it. If you can just glass them from afar and not get in there and booger them up, I mean, if you if you see a bachelor group in a bean field three days in a row, I mean, you can pretty much bet your paycheck that they're going to be there that next afternoon too. Yeah, pending any pressure. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. I'm, I hunt 100% public land, but the one drawback to this is it's private only. So oh, I'm in the okay. I'm in the process right now. I've been making some phone calls the last couple of weeks, and I'm just I'm trying to snag me up permission for a farm. You know, we're we're in an area where I know there's some good deer. So yeah. as of right now, I don't have anywhere to hunt. But I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm planning on having some, something by the time you know it gets here. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about that because, you know, Iowa, and I, I say this a lot lately, I've said this a lot on the podcast lately, but Iowa only has 2% of it of the state is public ground. The rest of it is all owned by private 
Um, yeah. What's the what's the public land public hunting type scenario over where you where you live? Man, where where I live, just off the top of my head, within counting count Missouri, which is just right across the river, which is a twenty five minute drive. Count Missouri and what I got here, where I live, I mean, I got access to, I got over twenty thousand acres I can hunt. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really, it's kind of sport, sport, sport me a little bit, but I mean, that's, yeah, it's it's kind of an endless amount of land here. It's, it's really good. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I could, I could take this, uh, this conversation so many different directions right now, but I'll just go with the first question that pops into my head. And that is, you know, when, and, and I've felt this in the past where sometimes you, you have access to to almost too much ground you know what i mean because you don't really know where to zero in on so how do you go about taking that you know access to twenty thousand acres in because missouri's over the counter state too right yeah yeah i mean it's not a draw system you could i could drive over there and buy my license the day i wanted to go hunting you know it's no problem there or or kentucky's the same way i mean i don't have to put in for any kind of draw or anything like that right Right. And but really, my my two, I got about six different. They're called WMAs here, wildlife management areas. I got about six that I hunt, you know, on a yearly basis at some point. But I got two that are twenty minutes from my house, and they're bow only. Oh. And they're and they're not. You can only kill a spike or a nine point or bigger. So they're managed. I mean, for for where we live, I mean. You know, if I killed a 160 this year, it wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't really surprise me because there's, you know, there's that good a deer in that area. Right, right. So, so the short of it is you have access to a lot of ground really close to your house, but from a strategy standpoint, how do you go about narrowing down? Because you can't hunt 20,000 acres in one season, right? Oh, no, no. So how do you go about um, narrowing that down? Well, like, um, man, just kind of trial and error over the years. I've went to spots that I thought would be good and, you know, turned out that other people would wear them out hunting from pressure or, you know, this or that. And I've got certain areas that, like in October, I got a WMA that I go to that's a lake bed. That's It's like a 300-acre CRP field. It doesn't hold water anymore. It's got a lot of cypress trees. Like, that's my early season spot. And then I got the two spots that are right down the road from me on the Mississippi River. That's where I go to from, from Halloween on. It's where I'm, I'm I'm down there on the by the big river hunting in bottom, bottoms, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you are hunting Tennessee, Missouri, and Kentucky. Is that on a yearly basis? Uh, yeah, I didn't hunt Kentucky last year. I had some other stuff going on, but out of the last, eight years i've hunted it every year but once and then this will be my third year in missouri i kind of the first year was kind of a learning process mostly scout i mean it was, i was hunting but it, it was mainly doing a lot of scouting for next year you know and and the good thing i mean the hunt pressure around here during our gun season is ridiculous man i mean we have our gun season opens around thanksgiving and stayed open to the end of the season which is like january the 9th so i mean we have our our gun season is really long but like i said them two spots that i have down here that are bow only by the time muzzleloader opens man i don't 
you know, I've got four or five buddies that hunt down there serious like I do, but besides them, man, we don't run into nobody because once, you know, once the gun season opens, everybody goes on private because, you know, they want to go gun hunt. Yeah, yeah. So do you prefer, which one of those states do you prefer to hunt? And so if I told you, hey, man, this year you can only hunt one state, what state are you hunting? You talking about besides Tennessee? Yeah, no, I'm saying um, you get to hunt Missouri or Tennessee or Kentucky, but just one. Uh, man, I'd I'd have to take Tennessee. Te- okay, is that because yeah, just, you feel comfortable, more comfortable with that area? Yeah, yeah, because man, I've been this would be my tenth year bow hunting, and all these spots around here in Tennessee. I mean, I, I hit them hard every year, and I mean, I still I still learn something every time I go, but. I got spots that I feel like, you know, I can just go by the calendar and I know, you know, when it hits November 5th, I know where I need to be, you know, Halloween, I know where I need to be and kind of narrowed it down. And I mean, honestly, man, if somebody told me that all I could hunt the rest of my life was the public land right here in my county, I mean, I'd be happy with it because I know I'm at least going to get an opportunity at a couple mature deer every year on my bow. Right. Pretty much. Right. So um on that now you hunt in a bow only zone too right well like the the two wmas i hunt down here by the river bow only another one i hunt is federal i I hunt a lot of federal land too and they close on november 14th and they're bow only so pretty much the public land 90 percent of the public land that i'm hunting on during the season is bow only okay i don't have to worry any i ain't got to worry about wearing no orange or worried about rifle hunters or nothing like that gotcha now when you hunt a bow only zone is there the same amount of pressure as maybe a gun zone or is you know because obviously more people gun hunt than bow hunt are are you running into less people on that public ground yeah i would definitely say so i mean early you know opening weekend through the first you know, month is usually if I do run into any other hunters, it's usually in the first month of season. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, when muzzle, our muzzleloader opens, I think about 10 days before Thanksgiving. And if I could, you know, usually after that, they're gone anyway. But like I said, most of the places I'm hunting, they're bow only. And, and a lot of people, I, I figured them, a lot of them out, you know, they're not going to go as far as I'm going to go. They're going to, you know, do a little easier hunt. They're going to get in a tree right off a bean field and stuff, you know, and I just, I've made it my goal. I used to try to hunt. My number one goal would be to hunt the deer, but now it sounds crazy, but it's changed now. My number one goal is to avoid people. If I can find a section that I know nobody's been in there, I mean, if if I go in there and, and do right and play the wind and I'm smart about it, man, I mean, I can usually get on get on some pretty good deer you know that I, if i know people have been in there boogering up and stomping yeah. around and checking trail cameras and all that you know so that's kind of indicative to what you first said i mean you used to hunt specific deer basically find out where a deer's living and going after him but it sounds to me that it's almost like the same thing you're avoiding people, which means that the deer have have kind of all been shifted away from them, and you're hunting that area, which means you feel that's where the like the big mature buck is living. You're, you're exactly right. I've got spots like we got we have a lot of CRP here, and 
I mean, that's that's my. I would rather hunt CRP than big woods any day. And I, I know it's different throughout the country, but like we have an area on one of the public lands, for instance, there's a field on the south end that's about a 400 acre field. And 20 years ago, it was row crop. Well, about 18 years ago, they set it up in a CRP program. And now that the trees are big enough or other hunters are going in there and hanging lock on the stuff, I noticed it last year. I mean, used to, you could go in there. I, I was going in there three years ago with my lone wolf and, you know, getting eight foot off the ground in a tree the size of my thigh because that's all you could do. Yeah. And, man, I was seeing... I was seeing horns every time I went, and then over the last three years, everybody else has kind of, they've kind of moved out there, and like last year, I mean, it was, I ain't going to say it was it was just dead, but I didn't hunt it any because I had buddies in there hunting, and they, they were hunting it religiously, and they wasn't killing nothing, so I figured the deer had probably changed their pattern and, and kind of adjusted to the people, you know? Right, right. So... Which kind of brings me to a like a, a parallel question here. When you go in to an area, right, how much time do you give a piece of this like a particular area of public ground before you say, I'm out of here, nothing nothing here interests me or there's you know, there's no buck here? Well, if I go in and I see some good fresh sign, I'll give it, you know, I may, I may change trees each hunt and, and it may only be, I may only move 60 yards, mainly doing an observation shit, but I'll usually, you know, if I feel like if there's some good sign there and I feel like there's a good book in there, you know, I'll at least, if I got a good win, I'll give it three or four hunts before I just totally scratch it off and move on to the next area. Cause I know a lot of times you'll go in a tree and you may not see a deer and then you may go in there the next afternoon you may see 12, you know, it just depends on. You know, it could be the weather that had them down or, or right. something like that. I hate to scratch a place off but too soon, but also I hate to go in there and continue hunting something if I'm, if I'm not seeing any results out of it. Right. And that's, that's one thing that I deal with all the time. Like, you know, I sit in a spot. I know that, you know, my trail cameras are telling me there's good deer coming through here, and I don't know how much time I should put in there because you know they, they could be nocturnal a hot doe could have led them some other place uh so you know do i give it three hunts do i give it four do i give it do i hunt it once and say okay i'm out of here because as you know as you know i mean shit you could sit in one deer or one stand one day and it's cold you don't see a deer next day every deer in the timbers running right by you exactly exactly and you know i think sometimes you just got to follow your gut yeah. you know if I, sometimes i can just you know something tells me you know i don't need to i don't need to leave here yet i need to give it another chance and other times uh, i'll hunt it and i just get a feeling we're like you know this is this is junk i need to move on to the next spot you know it just kind of depends i usually just try to i've learned over the years to kind of follow my gut when i hear something in my head telling me something I usually try to follow it now because I mean, a lot of times, you know, your gut's going to be right. 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 So my next question is let's do, let's talk about scouting a little bit and then we'll get back into the, into the line here. But when, you know, we talked a little bit about narrowing down and, and you've already talked about, you know, trial and error over the years, but you know, you, you in the note, 
or in the email you sent me, you said you kill, you've killed three fourths of the bucks that you've killed were in the first set ever in that particular tree. Yeah, first time. First ever. time in. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm sitting in my hunting room right now. I, I got, I got nine nine mounts and four euros in the wall, and I can honestly tell you that at least eighty percent of them was the very first time ever in that tree ever. Right. And is that a a, uh, a tree that you've picked out during early season scouting, or is that going into an area? with the stand on your back scouting as you go in and setting up because that's where that's where the terrain uh you know that's where the terrain looked the best that's where the sign was that's where the wind was kind of telling you and then it kind of you know your gut was telling you like yep. all pointing I mean, to yeah, that you, tree yeah yeah you hit the nail on the head i mean i i go in and i when i leave the truck even if i'm scouting or whatever i got my stand on my back i got my bag I got my bow in my hand because ninety percent of the time when I go in, I'm going to find somewhere. You know, I'm not going to waste a hunt. Now there has been times I've walked around and not found enough and just went back to the truck and rode around glassing. But most of the time, if I leave the truck, I'm going to end up in a tree at some point. Now I may walk around and get all sweaty and stinky and and hop up in a tree the last hour hour and a half of daylight. But, I mean, I've got a lot of buddies that scout, and they just leave all their stuff in the truck and just go walk around scouting stuff. And to me, the way I look at it, if I, your first time in there, if nobody's been in there, and you get in there and you get on, you know, awesome fresh rubs and you see buck turds everywhere and scrapes, I mean, if you find a good spot and get up in a tree, I mean, you know, by the time they know you're there, if it's a good buck, I mean, you may get an arrow in them because – I just, you know, I hate to waste going there and stink it all up and then go back and say, well, I'm just going to come back tomorrow afternoon. Knowing my luck, that deer's going to walk by and smell right where I walked, and then he's going to move on to the next spot, whereas I just soon get my saw, cut a couple limbs, get up in there and hang the stand and, and try to surprise them, you know. Right, absolutely. And the last two years, that I'm proof of that. It, you, I walked in, I set up. And uh, I guess not, not this past year, but the year before when I killed my deer, um, I, I went into an area, I set up my tree stand, it rained that next morning. So it was almost like the second night was also a fresh, you know, a free hunt for me as well. That rain, that rain, you know, washed away all your scent stuff. So that was, you know, that's pretty much the same concept because I mean, I've got, I've got some spots that I've, that I hunt that I know have been hunted hard. I mean, it sounds crazy, man, but cert- certain parts of this public land I hunt where people hunt a lot, I mean, it, it really does sound crazy, but I swear to you, some of them deer, when they come walking through the woods, they're they're looking up. I mean, they're, <laughs> you can, they're it's like they're, they're looking. I mean, they've been hunted so hard, and they smelt people in there so much. I mean, it's like they know that somebody, you know, they're, they're right. kind of wondering where the hunter is in there, you know? Right, right. So they, that's, a, that's a strike against you almost. Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 like I said, I I, I keep in touch. I learned a long time ago. A, a buddy of mine that he's one of the better. He's probably the best hunter I know. But he's real old school. He don't like to. He don't tell anybody anything, which I understand because I I probably got bitten in the butt because I talk too much. But like all the other hardcore hunters around here that hunt these public lands, I know them all. I've got their number. They've got my number. And I try to communicate with them. So 
you know, I don't go in and booger them up and vice versa, you know, because I don't want to go in and hunt a spot that I think's fresh, but my buddy was there last week hunting for two days, you know, and I didn't know it. Yep. So now I've kind of learned, I may not tell them every, everything I see, but I, you know, I try to be pretty honest with them and, and they're honest with me. And I, I think it's helped me. Right. I mean, I think it's helped me in the long run communicating and, you know, just trying to, I like to, I just, I don't want to know what they're saying. I just want to know where they're at so right. I can avoid that area. Right. At the same time, it would be a, it would be a benefit if they're on the same level as you, uh, as far yeah. as what they're looking for, because if, you know, let's say I'm only, I only want to kill four year olds or older. And this other guy, he, if I know that he only wants to kill four year olds or older, I mean, I'm not going to tell him if I see a really big buck in an area, but um, exactly. I, I probably would share information about, Hey man, uh, I was in there two nights ago, or he shares that information with me. It's just win-win for everybody. Oh yeah, I've done it. I've I've shared information that's helped buddies kill deer, and they've done the same thing with me. I mean, I try not to be stingy about it, but I've also learned that you know if you talk too much, you'll have you know <laughs> people parking in your you'll have people parking in your spot and going in there, and you'll be seeing boot tracks and all that. You know. Yep, absolutely. So. <laughs> Kind of going back now to your, you know, the whole methodology you've chosen of killing three-fourths of your bucks on the first set in. I want to hear an example of that. Tell me I, I, tell me an a right. perfect example of the day you got out of your truck, went to uh, a tree for the very first time, and killed a deer. All right. Um, all right there's a WMA. The it's one of the federal ones that I was telling you about. It closes on November 14th. So, you know, right when it's getting cranked up, it's pretty much closed. You can't go on anymore. But I do a lot of scouting online. Like, I look at maps till my my eyes bleed. I mean, every night when my wife goes to bed, I'm on the computer. Well, I, I, you know, I've seen this part, like I was telling you, it's a lake bed. But they, I don't know what they've done, but it don't hold water anymore. So it's pretty much a 300-acre CRP field. And it's got cypress trees in it that are, you know, some of them are 100 foot tall. Oh, you know, big, humongous trunks on them. Yep. Well, I let, I, I get out of my truck one day, and I was doing like I was telling you. I got my stand and got my bag got my bow. I didn't know where I was going, what actual tree I was going to end up in, but I knew I was going to hunt somewhere. So I get out, and I start walking down the lake bed, and I'm scouting. Well, I jump a couple deer that are bedded you know, right on the edge, so I kind of stop, and I'm just looking around. Well, man, I see fresh buck turds, like, three different piles within 15 yards. And when I say fresh, I mean, like, you know, within that 24-hour period. Right. So I'm just kind of looking around, and the only tree in sight is a cypress tree that, I mean, it's humongous. It's just tall and got 500 limbs on it. What time of year was so this? Go, this was November the 7th. November 7th, okay. November 7th. So, I, you know, I go in, I, I hunt with a lone wolf and climbing sticks. Well, I really only, I, I didn't even have to use any climbing sticks. I just used two screwing steps to get off of the ground. And then what I did, I just climbed the limbs like a ladder. I mean, it was so, it, it don't sound real safe, but the tree had so many limbs on it. You really couldn't, you know, you always had something to grab on. So right. I climb, I, I climb it up probably, 30 foot where i can see good and that man all i had to do was cut one one branch and then i pull i take my stand off my back strap it on i pull my bow up 
and literally 20 minutes later, a hundred and, you know, 120 inch eight pointer comes out. And I mean, right in front of me, there's a scrape 20 yards in front of the tree and he's out here working the scrape, which that's a great deer, but that wasn't what I was in there to kill because I knew there was bigger deer. Yeah. So this buck, this buck hangs around for 10 or 15 minutes and there's a couple does with him and they, they start heading towards the crops. Well, man, 20 minutes later, just out of nowhere. And I mean, I've been glassing the whole time out of nowhere. I look over and I see this little sapling bent over, you know, curled down all the way to the ground. And I just see it moving. And all I can see is G2s. I thought, man, that's a good deer right there. So, he, you know, I get a look at him. Well, I, I, he was going the other way. So I, I thought, man, I'm not big on calling unless I have to. So, I, you know, I hit him with a grunt call a couple of times. And he stopped and looked. You know, I knew he heard me. So, I, you know, I kind of put it up. I didn't want to do too much. Well, he's, he he got, he goes on. He goes in this thick stuff, and I think he's gone. So I give it about five minutes, and I get my horns out. And I'm like, man, I'm going to rattle, you know, one time just to see, because I, he was a mature buck. I knew if he was in the right mood that that, that was going to work. So I get my rattling horns out, and I start rattling. And all of a sudden, I see the, the grass moving. I mean, this grass is, you know, 10 foot tall in some sections. And all of a sudden, he pops out and he's he's coming right to me so i hang my horns up and i get my bow and literally i mean this deer walked in i think he was 25 yards when i shot him and i mean i made the perfect shot actually hit him right in the heart Nice. and man he he bounced you know he ran off 15 20 yards and stopped you know he didn't really know what happened and he did the whole wobble thing and fell down and man i mean he actually turned out to be 147 inch 10 pointer with a kicker off his g2 i mean with with like seven eight inch brow tines i mean it's my second biggest deer i'd ever killed and that was the first time i'd ever been that tree and i actually called a buddy of mine to come help me get it out and uh we went out in the lake bed and we were walking over to it and he said man where were you hunting at and i pointed it up in the tree and you could see the limb i cut and he said you you got up in that tree right there and killed that deer. I was like, and I told him, I said, well, man, I mean, I seen the sign in here. I mean, if I was going to kill that deer, that's where I was going to have to be. I couldn't go over here and get by the bean field and wait on him, or it was going to be dark before he ever got there. And I mean, he kind of poked fun at me and joked joked about that. But I mean, when you got you know a high one forties deer on the ground, I mean, they can't really poke at you too much, you know. <laughs> that's funny. But yeah, I mean, and, and that deer field dressed right at two hundred pounds. I mean, for here, it was a really, really good mature deer. That's awesome. So let's let's talk about why the deer like that area now. Okay, so fill us in, you know, because you you walked you walk to this tree, you locate it, but what made that area so special? Talk about the terrain, talk about what the wind was doing, uh, and, and then anything else that may be of importance to the story, your, maybe your access well, ter- route. Terrain-wise, I mean, it's it's flat as it can be. And it's if you're looking out on a map, it's a lake bed, and it's surrounded by timber, but not big timber. When I say surrounded, like you got the lake bed, you got – 40 to 100 yards of big woods and then you got the fields on the outside and to, to me i think it's just a big to me it's a just a big bed and social area because there's it's so thick in there and it's so just nasty that 
I mean, if a deer wants to go, if, if he, if a deer don't want to be seen, you're not going to see him. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's that kind of stuff where unless a hot dog comes by and gets them up or they want to get up, I mean, if they want to stay in there and be hid, if they just stay laying down, you're never even going to know they're in there. But I think what made it so good is nobody else hunted that lake bed. No, Everybody else would go hunt the timber around it or hunt big timber on the north end. They just kind of checked the lake bed off because – you know anybody with a climber they're they're not gonna go in there because you can't get none of those trees in a climber and then a lot of my friends they like to go in there and prep their stands and a lot of my hang stands to put locks on and stuff and man i just if, if i'm gonna go in there and disturb it and stuff i want to be in there to hunt it right then you know and and the weather wise i mean for the for that time of year the weather was good the the one thing i do remember was the wind when I shot this deer, if he would have took, if he would have walked 10 more yards, he would have had my wind. Yeah. See what I'm saying? So like I was, I was, I was cheating the wind and I mean, I almost got caught, but I didn't. And that's, that's why I killed that deer because he thought, so me calling when he come in, he thought he had the wind in my favor, but the way I was set up, I still, it still gave me an opening for a shot before he could ever, you know, know I was in there. Right. Right. You say you call it cheat the wind. I call it I call it a fifty fifty a hunt because I feel that on some of these hunts, even if the wind shifts a little bit, I'm screwed. You know, yeah. I mean, I call it. It's going to be fifty percent good or fifty percent. I'm going to get busted. Uh, or you know, yeah, or you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of times your weather say you know west wind all afternoon. But I've learned. No matter, I, I use two weather apps on my phone, but the first thing I do when I pull up is I get out and I check the wind just to, because I've had times when it said it, you know, it said it was going to be blowing from the west and I get there and it's straight south, you know, and that kind of had to go back to plan B, you know. Absolutely. And I, I've looked at maps so much and I got so many, sp- I always go in with a plan A, B, C, or D, you know, if I go in, to a spot that I'm planning on hunting and I get in there something's not right I always got a backup plan close by I always I've learned hunt public land you always got to have a backup plan because there may be somebody in there you know there are different different situations but you know I always like to have a backup plan just you know just in case right and I mean like I said if it, I think if you, if you can just get somewhere where you know people haven't been just stinking it up and stomping around and checking cameras and stuff, I think that makes a big difference because a lot of my buddies that run cameras on state land, you know, they get a lot of pictures of some really big deer, but, I mean, most of them are at night. And, I mean, yeah, it's all good if you get a picture of a, you know, 150 on your camera, but if it's at 2 a.m. in the morning, I mean, that really ain't helping you out that much. And I know a lot of deer, ain't. there's going to be some deer that may not move, but, two or three days in daylight the whole year and i mean i know that sounds crazy to some people but i truly believe that there's some mature deer that probably don't move a handful of days in daylight during hunting season yep i've had uh i've had a a couple bucks throughout my career hunting career if you want to call it that that i have i didn't have one daylight picture and i don't mean like close to light i'm talking the only time i would get pictures of them uh, on middle multiple, of the night yeah multiple parts on the farm was farm was the middle of the night so this buck yep. was either nocturnal 
or coming from a long ways away to visit this farm during the night. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So go ahead. And a, and a lot of, I got, a, I got some friends that, you know, they don't take it as serious as I do and they enjoy what they do. But you know, a lot of them, they like to stick right by the food plots or right by the food. Whereas I've had a lot better luck getting, getting off, off, you know, way off in there because a lot of people think, you know, that a deer's going to bed, you know, 100, 200 yards from a bean field, and then they're going to get up, come to that bean field looking for does where, I mean, I've got proof from cameras and just, just from seeing it with my own eyes that, I mean, it ain't nothing for a deer to travel a mile to go eat every afternoon. I mean, that's nothing for them, you know. Right, right. Especially on public land. I mean, I do think a public land buck and private land bucks, I mean, they're, in a way, they're they're different types of animals, you know, like, you know, if you got a if you're Drew, Mark Drury and you got four thousand acres and you can just not step foot in that food plot for two months, then when you do go, well, sure they're going to be out there in the food plot before <laughs> dark. But you know, you go down here in public and hunt the edge of a bee field. I mean, you might see a couple does, but uh, you know, I'd say majority of the time you're not going to see any four or five year olds come out in crops on on public in daylight unless they're chasing a doe or you know you just get lucky. Right, right, and. and- a majority, I'm going to say 95% of my tree stand locations that I've hunted in the past year are not on field edges, right? They're probably 50, yeah. 60 or more yards away from the uh, field edge. Like, man, I, for some reason, I'm just a huge believer in what I call staging areas. And I, I don't know oh, yeah. where, where oh, yeah. they travel to the food source but before they get to the food source they they just stop in an area and they hang out for a little bit and then yeah, it's kind of like they it's kind of yeah. like they're meeting up you know or a rest stop type of deal well yeah i'm gonna just hang out here a second before uh before i head in you know head out to eat and uh you know usually in that area is where i find a lot of sign uh and yeah. you know and like and like you said it may only be 50 yards off the field but you know I, to me i think you're gonna have better luck there than right on the field Absolutely. you know because you know when when i get you know you get a buck that gets six seven years old i mean they, they didn't get that big for being they didn't get that big by walking out in food plots every day before dark yeah. you know <laughs> absolutely and the way i look at it i mean they are you know a mature buck is to me the hardest animal to hunt but at the same way i, I look at it i mean hell we're humans we're smarter than they are mm-hmm. i mean yeah they're smart but i mean you can't outthink them you know that Sometimes a lot of people overthink it, you know. Where I have that problem. They, you know, and I've done the same thing. I've walked past spots and kept going deeper, and then I get back there. I'm like, man, why didn't I just stop where I seen all that sign? Where I used to think that, you know, you had to get a mile, a mile and a half from the truck. But like two years ago, I killed a really good deer, and I could literally – I was on public land. I could literally see the top of my truck from my tree. I wasn't <laughs> a six-minute walk from the truck. I could see everybody driving by, but nobody had ever – I'd never seen anybody hunting in that area, so that's why I went there. Right. I uh, – it was kind of funny. Uh, I had a – I have a, uh, a stand on one of the farms that I hunt that when the kids were – uh, their kids are out of school now, but when the kids were in school, 
I could see, I, I could tell what time it was every morning uh, on my rut vacation because the bus would stop at their house to pick the kids up, go to school. Mm-hmm. And then let's see, if I was hunting there in the afternoon, I could tell what time it was because the bus would stop. And I was, like you said, man, I was, it was in some real thick stuff, but it was kind of a staging area before they crossed the road to head into an egg field. And, yeah. and again, a, a staging area type of uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something that, you know, I overthink it and, and you follow your gut. Uh, that's what this note, this, you know, you sent me a list of bullet points, follow, follow your gut, go into detail about what you mean by that. Because I think a, a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. Like, uh, let's, like if I'm going into a spot and got all my gear and I'm going to hunt, I'm, t- you know, trying to figure out where I'm going to be. I mean, if I'm walking through an area and I see, you know, I, I try to go off fresh sign. I mean, a lot of times if you see rubs that are, you know, a year old, I mean, they're most likely going to travel through that same, I, I, I have figured out, of, you know, they'll use the same trails and the same movement patterns through the woods every year, pretty much, you know, they'll follow thickets or follow sloughs. But a lot of times, you know, I would get, and I'm real bad about when I get to a spot and I know I want to hunt right here, man, I'm liable to stand there and not, and not move for five minutes and just stand around just looking. Cause I know like I need to be in that tree or I'll look over here and think, well, this area may be better. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, know where I need to go and then I've talked myself out of it and went 50, 60, 70 yards over here the other way and then sure enough I get up in a tree and that, that damn buck I walk right down by that spot where I wanted to go to him the first time but I talked myself out of it, you know? Right, right. And I've kind of just, it's kind of like a sixth sense. I think everybody's got it. You just got to kind of recognize, you know, when, I mean, I can't really explain it. It's just kind of, you got to have some woodsmanship and experience, you know, and just trial and error. I mean, I've, I've sit so many sits where I didn't, you know, back when I first started bow hunting, man, I would hunt nine or 10 sits in a row before I'd see a deer and I would just get frustrated. And all my buddies would be texting me saying, you know, I seen three bucks and blah, 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 and this and that. And I'm thinking, man, you know, what, if, what am I not doing right? And I mean, I was just, I was hunting the wrong, I, it was good sign, but I was hunting, you know, too close to the field. I wasn't going deep enough or I was hunting. I wasn't playing the wind right. I would think I was playing the wind right. But in fact, you know, it come to find out I wasn't seeing no deer because they probably smelled me before I'd ever seen them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So hunting when the time is right, right? So yeah. I, I used to be that guy just like you, you know, I'd go in just cannonball like October 1st would hit and it's just balls to the wall yeah, wide open, <laughs> wide open every single, you know, every single day. And I think the best thing, honestly, that ever happened for me when it comes to hunting was probably getting married and having kids. What that did right. was it forced me to, you know, to slow down. It forced and me pick to, and pick and choose, yep, absolutely. So tell me from a, from the time of year, how, you know, whatever the time of year is concerned and obviously take out that velvet, that velvet season out of, out of the equation. Yeah. But when you say, you know, only trying to go in when the time is right, what do you mean by that? Um, well, like 
I've got certain spots that I know, like I've got some trees that I hunt that I know if you go in before, you know, the rut, you you know, you're probably, or in my case, I feel like I'm wasting my time. Like I've got some spots that I know that I need to wait till the rut. Whereas like in October, I do a lot of afternoon hunting. I, I was like you, I used to, if, if, before I had kids and got married, by God, if it was deer season and I wasn't working, you, you can bet your ass I was going to be sitting in a tree somewhere. And <laughs> hell, half the time, you know, I wasn't seeing nothing and I, I was getting frustrated. And I learned that it ain't really, to me, it's not the quantity of hunts, it's the quality. You know, you got to, I'm, I'm, I'm to the point now where if the weather's not right, I don't have no problem not going for two or three days. You know, if, if a front moves in and, and we got a south wind and, it's humid and the barometric pressure's low. I mean, I'll I'll just I'll come home and hang out with my kids and you know do some honeydews and spend time with my family. And then you know we have a front come through with some good weather stuff. I mean, you can bet your ass I'm I'm fixing to be in a tree somewhere. Right. I, I I really go off the weather, but a lot of times like certain I've noticed certain areas of of the public land that I hunt. They get hunted harder earlier in the year, kind of like you were saying, because season's just open right. and everybody's just itching to go get in a tree. Whereas, I mean, I got a spot that I can pretty much, if I hunt it on the right time, I'm pretty much guaranteed to get some kind of shot opportunity at some point if I wait and go like on the second week of November. You know, I've got trees that I won't, I won't even go in there and look at them until I'm ready to go in there and hunt you know, on November the 15th or whatever, you know. Right, right. Makes a lot of and sense. I'm big, I'm big, yeah, I'm big on hunting. And I've learned over the years, and it's, I'm still figuring this part out, but buck beds, I mean, that's, that's really, I'm still, I'm still reading up on it and learning on it. But I, I, I have learned if you can get in there with the right wind and do like you were saying with a 50-50 kind of cheating the wind, I mean, you can you can really get on some good deer if you if you play your cards right and you're smart about it. You know, you can't just because I I used to walk by bedding areas and you know I I wasn't thinking and I mean my wind would be blowing right in there and I wouldn't see I think I was good on the wind but hell I wouldn't see no deer because I mean hell they smelled me walking in they just turned around and went out the other way you know like yep. they were never there. Yep. Yep. So, is there a time of year? I mean, obviously the rut. You know, I mean, everybody wants to hunt the rut, but for me, I I used to get excited when a cold front would would come through in, let's say, early to mid October. But the more yeah. I hunt and the more that a cold front does come through, I still maybe there's a little bit more deer movement uh, earlier in the evening, but not too much earlier. And the big bucks, like they're still not on their feet. Even even if yeah. a cold front comes through in October, are you seeing the same things? Yeah, I mean, it could change from year to year, but like, I don't really expect. Besides, like you were saying, the velvet hunt. Like, say if I'm hunting in Tennessee and it's just our regular deer season, I don't really feel like I really have a good chance at, at getting on a good buck until ten days before Halloween. Okay. So, and, and I still, try, I'm big on after. I used to hunt mornings and afternoons when all the all season long, but now I've got an hour. I'll hunt afternoons only, and then when I when I first start seeing bucks 
you know, moving a little better in the afternoons and stuff, that's when I really try to gear up. And because a lot of people, you know, they'll talk about the October lull and stuff. I mean, I think a lot of these deer are probably still moving during daylight. You're just not seeing them because they're they're changing. You know, if you got acorns dropping or whatever, I mean, they're, when their food changes, they're they're going to the deer I hunt anyway. They're going to change. You know, when when that red oak over there starts dropping, they're, they're going to shift it. You know, and when when the combines cut the beans, they're going to start hitting the bean fields, and vice versa. You know. Yep. Yep. So talk to me about your scent control. You take it serious or not? Oh man, I'm I'm OCD about it. I mean, <laughs> I probably take it too serious, but I, I mean, I don't guess you can take it too serious. But I mean, I use I use ozone. I was a big skeptic. I, I didn't get it till three years ago. I was always a tight. My excuse was, man, I, I don't, I'm just not I'm not going to buy tape three or four hundred dollars for something else that i gotta carry in my pack and more weight more stuff to deal with but man after i finally broke down and got one i mean it just it totally changed everything for me and then i still wear scent lock i still wash all my clothes i mean a lot of people using ozonics they you know they say you, you ain't gotta wash them as much but i mean i still take that part serious i spray down I keep all my stuff in Tupperware. I mean, I, I try to make, make sure there's no human, any kind of scent on any of my gear or clothing. But, I mean, the Ozonics, I mean, honestly, it kind of feels feels like I'm cheating. But, I mean, if it gives me that extra advantage to, you know, kill a five- or six-year-old buck, I mean, I'll, I'll, use, I'll, I'll use whatever that works, you know. Right, right. So then – you're you're very serious about the your, your scent control. Do you feel that because you're very uh, serious about your scent control, that allows you to be a little bit more aggressive with your, uh, I guess, your strategy when it is time to move in for the kill? Yeah, and I, I think it I think it helps me get away with a little bit more than if I didn't. You know, like I've always washed my clothes. I've always sprayed down, done that. But now, you know, once throwing those onks in with it, I mean, I really feel like if I need to get aggressive, move in a little bit, you know, 30 yards closer to the bed and, and cheat the wind just a hair more. I mean, I feel, I feel like I can get away with more. And I mean, I'm not going to say it's that stuff doesn't make me 100% scent free because I still have deer, you know, they'll get downwind of me. And they, you know, sometimes they'll stop and, you know, lick their nose. And th- and I know that they smell something, but they don't smell me. They can, you know, they, they may be getting the scent off the ozone or they can tell something's there, but they, they don't do, you know, used to before I used any of that. Once they got down wind, they'd stick their tail up and run two counties over. Whereas now I've noticed a lot of them have stopped and they'll kind of look around and lick their nose and they know something is in there but they can't quite pinpoint it and then a lot of times man a couple minutes later they just they go back to relax and they they don't even act like they know i'm in there yeah yeah makes uh makes a lot of sense now we got about 10 minutes left uh, before we shut her down here but at the bottom of this email that you sent me it lists your top five pieces of gear okay number one was the lone wolf uh stand and sticks what what lone wolf specifically i got the alpha okay the alpha the, so. i got the alpha and then i i got four sticks but depending on the time of the year when i'm hunting sometimes i may only carry two in or i may need all four but 
I mean, I hunt out of that stand. I still got a lone wolf climber. I hadn't touched it in two years. I mean, I hate to sell it because I know I may need it one day, but that is every every single time I'm deer hunting, I'm in my lone wolf lock on with my sticks. I mean, I, that's that's my go-to piece right there. Gotcha. We The second one was Ozonix. We already talked about that. And the third one... I have I have mixed emotions about this third one, and that's the Moon Guide. Okay, yeah. Are you a belie- Are are you a believer in the Moon Guide? I, I am. I am just because I've seen results from it. Now, don't get me wrong. I I still may go hunting when the Moon Guide is saying it ain't going to be good. That it's not going to keep me from going. But the thing the thing I like about the Moon Guide is it not only does it give you a time of when you're probably going to see movement but it it tells you where like it'll tell you transition or bedding or food and it sounds crazy that you just take a little dial and turn it and it tells you you know 606 p.m transition but man i mean i've got buddies that, that use them and i mean i can't tell you between three or four of us you know we've killed multiple deer and it sounds crazy, but you can take that moon guide and look at some of the deer we've killed, and it's been within five minutes of what of what that time set on that moon guide. And, and I, that could just be a coincidence, but, I mean, it's it's made a believer out of me. We were in Kentucky hunting about four years ago, and I had two buddies up there hunting with us, and both of them got a shot. One of them killed, one of them missed his deer, and they were both within five minutes of each other, and they were within five to ten minutes of what the moon guide said. So, I mean, that could have been a coincidence, but man, I, I think it's—I think it's got something to do with it. Yeah, it, it, it makes me feel better anyway, it, and it helps me. I, I use it for scouting in summer, like on them red moon days, is a great time in the afternoon to go to go glassing for deer because. I used to ride around at work and I'd see deer moving in the middle of the day on, you know, just awful weather. And then once I got this moon guide, now when I see them, I'll go home and correlate the time I seen deer out in the field at one o'clock in the afternoon, go home. And, and a lot of time it correlates when this moon guide says they're going to be moving. So I feel like there's something, there's something there that that's working. And, you know, a lot of people don't believe in the, in the moon or stuff, but I feel like, you know, if it can give me an edge, I'm going to, I'm going to study up and try, try it anyway. And I, I felt like it, it's helped me out a lot. Yeah. That's something I, I need to look into a little bit more. I mean, it's still not going to be able to determine what days I hunt, you know, because, yeah, you know, exactly. I, I, I can't, I can't take a day off of work because the moon guide <laughs> says, Hey, you need to hunt this morning or, um, I can't, I can't not pick yeah. my kids up from daycare because, uh, yeah the moon guide says so, but you know, definitely inter- I should get a little bit more interested in that look into that some more now. Yeah. And there, I mean, I think it's like, I'm going to say it's like $28, but where I really noticed it is the summer scout. And I'll go, I'll wait to them red moon days and the first around the first of August and on them red moon days, I'll go, I'll go glass and crop fields and stuff. And man, I mean, 90% of the time on them red moon afternoons, if it says six thirty, you can, pretty much bet your ass that you, you go down there at six thirty and you're gonna see some deer out on their feet in the beans you know right so the fourth the fourth piece of uh piece of gear you live and die by is gps i don't i mean you're a hundred percent uh public land hunter so there really is no need for, for an explanation an explanation for that yeah. but then yeah. the, the next one is a boat so is a lot of the 
area that you hunt accessible by water? I'd say over half of them are. Just about, I'd say about half of the WMAs I hunt, if I want to access it by boat, I can. They either got a river or a lake or something like that. And I really zoned in on it last year because I was just, I wasn't seeing as many deer earlier in the season like I was used to seeing. And we'll come to find out all these, all my buddies that hadn't been hunting certain areas, they were kind of moving in and hunting them. And it was just kind of changing the deer up. So I was like, man, I'm going to get my boat and I'm getting away from everybody. And like last year, for example, the day before Thanksgiving, um, I went in by boat, man, literally went to a pinch point that I've looked at on the map and I walked 70 yards from the bank and found awesome sign and got up in that tree and got a shot at the biggest deer I've ever shot at in my life. I don't, I made a bad shot, but I don't think I killed him. But I mean, literally, I've I seen more deer that sit than I'd seen the seven days before that hunting in my other spots going in by truck. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's something about going in by river. Them deer feel comfortable. They get up and move earlier. And, and I mean, like some of the spots I hunt going in by boat, I mean, somebody would have to walk two and a half miles to get back there. So yeah. I know I got it to myself. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. I, you know, and, uh, our buddy on the Southern ground podcast, man, he uses a, a kayak. We got my buddy Lucas out in uh, North Dakota. He's using a, a boat to access ground. Um, guys like, uh, Ted bright, who's been on the podcast before I mean, yeah. dude uses a canoe to get to places. So, um, that's, I think that's, uh, underrated, man. I think, uh, I think using a boat or a canoe or some kind of flotation device to get, or even just walking waterways to get to yeah. your your tree stand location is is severely underestimated. And, and I've noticed, especially on the on hunting on the rivers, I mean, I don't know what it is about water, man, but they just it's like they're it's like they're more comfortable and they just they get up earlier in the afternoon to move and they move later in the morning. Hell, they even move midday, whereas other spots i hunt by truck you know a lot of spots if you hadn't got something by 10 or 11 o'clock you know you probably ain't gonna have much luck but you know and, and another thing i was gonna say is now that my my oldest boy he's he just turned three and i my wife's a school teacher so i have to take him to daycare well the first year i knew i was gonna have to do that i was like man there goes half my morning hunts but man what i figured out i'd go take him to school and then I'd go ride around in glass or do whatever, and I'd get up in a tree by 10 o'clock, and I'd just hunt the rest of the day. And, I mean, you'd be amazed at how many big deer I've seen between 11 o'clock in the morning and 1 o'clock in the afternoon when everybody else is going home to take a nap or eat lunch or whatever, you know. So it kind of it kind of worked in my favor in the long run. Yeah, makes sense, man. So last question. For this upcoming season, what are you the most excited about? Uh, man, I'm really excited about this three-day velvet hunt we have. I mean, I'm, I'm really pumped up about that. But I would say my, my last goal, my goal for the last three years is to kill a mature buck in October, and I've yet to do it. Yeah. And I, that's 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 my goal. I want to get – I want to kill a four- or five-year-old before Halloween – and I hadn't had the chance yet. I've screwed some up, and I've had some shots. But, I mean, I always have some good luck during the rut. But I really want to get on something before Halloween because, uh, you know, a lot of big deer 
you can kill pre-rut pre-rut is a really good to me is better than the rut you know when you can get them responding to calls and they start getting aggressive and territorial and i think that's just a you know a really good time to get on it's it's harder hunting but man if you you can just sneak up in there and get you some good weather i mean you never know what's going to happen yeah absolutely absolutely well mr barrett burns i really appreciate you taking time to hop on the podcast and chat with me today I appreciate you, Dan. I enjoyed it, man. I've been listening to all your podcasts and think what you got going on is a good thing and just keep it up, man. You got you got a good podcast going. I love listening to your interviews and I've watched all your stuff on White Knuckle and all the stuff on YouTube. I mean, I'm a deer geek and I'll, I'll continue. If it's got anything to do with deer hunting on your podcast, you can bet I'm, I'm going to listen to it. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Barrett for coming on the podcast and chatting with us tonight. Really appreciate him taking time to uh, walk us through his uh, hunting strategy. Also, huge shout out to all the partners of the podcast. Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonics. And we have a new one. A new one that's going to be uh, kind of special. uh, Because I I mentioned... uh, this kind of product and and that you should use it every single podcast so i'll tell you more about that uh in the first week of july but we got another partner coming it's awesome and they're badass and you're gonna like it and i got a discount for you on the products and i think you'll like that as well too anyway thank you each and every one of you for taking time to hop on download listen do whatever it is that you do with this podcast man yeah i really appreciate it um if you have any criticism for me man send me an email if you have any questions for me send me an email or hit me up via social media if uh there's someone you want on the podcast hit me up let me know Uh, If there's a brand or a company you want to have on the podcast, hit me up, let me know, whatever. I'm an open book. And most of the time, uh, people email me and they say, hey, you know, I'm really not sure if I fit for, you know, if I fit the description for a hunter profile. And before I even read the rest of the email, I'm typing, let's do it. And, uh, you know, I pretty much let whoever wants to be on the podcast on the podcast because, you know, not all about success it's not all about big bucks i mean we all hunt different locations of the country we all hunt different ways and uh, i absolutely love hearing those stories so if you're interested in uh, either doing a product review or a hunter profile or a bs session whatever man hit me up after that and it's friday so I'm, I'm cutting out early on the outro today but hopefully everybody has a great weekend try to spend some time with the family before the hunting season really starts grinding and uh i tell you what man if you're going to be in a tree wear your damn safety harness have a good weekend